0: Good morning everyone. Today I'll be reading out of Genesis 3 verses 1 through 7. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Father, we just uh, pray for uh, your word, that uh, it would speak to every single one of us, that we would leave changed and transformed by your word. We just thank you for uh, our pastor and the time he puts into uh, studying your word and presenting it in truth. And we just thank you, Lord, for this day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning.
1: The alphas can be dismissed. Uh, I hope I tried to get to everybody before the service started, but if I haven't, Happy Mother's Day to you, ladies. This morning, we're going to continue in our series in First Timothy. I believe it's uh, page 1178 in the Pew Bible. Uh, We will continue in our series as Paul is exhorting his protege Timothy to lead a proper church. And this morning we will look at the topic of proper public worship. I'm going to try and turn to the passage myself. Well, since the Garden, Satan has sought to distort our worship of God. He has been distracting and deceiving God's people from God's commands. We were created to worship God and Satan absolutely hates it. God is the only proper recipient of our worship and our tendency is to continue with the themes we saw in the fall that we just read distorting our worship that started in Genesis 3. And so even today, there's a cosmic battle waging, even in our midst, for proper worship. The constant question we all face is, did God really say that? Would God be really good if he said what he said in his word? Doesn't he want you to be happy? Provided for or fulfilled? Well, when we planned this series, I took all the passages and put them on a calendar and didn't realize that today was the passage for Mother's Day. Tyler actually, as he's here, he sent me and Marty a message. Hey, if anybody wants a Sunday off from preaching, I would be glad to do that. And I offered this passage to him and he said, you can take that. We don't skip hard passages as we go through books of the Bible. And I do believe after studying for this that God wanted this passage for us today. So let me read the passage, 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 15, and then let's let God's word direct our time. Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for a woman who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Would you pray with me? Father, as we all approach this passage with questions, um, maybe even a rebuke, we understand that your word is profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, and so God, I ask that you would do that for us this morning, uh, and most importantly, that you would get and receive the praise that you and you alone are due, as it is our greatest joy to worship you. So be honored in our time, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we have three points this morning as we look at this text, is that proper worship is anchored in godliness or holiness, it's ordered in headship, and it has a purpose of hope. This morning is about worship. Remember that. It's not about men and women. It's about worship. And so let's first consider how proper worship is anchored in godliness. And so Paul starts by both men and women being addressed. The problem that men has, or sorry, the problem Paul addresses is for men as it relates to their prayer. And men are to lead by examples. Prayer was our topic last week and so Paul is carrying on the argument in the text. Men are to lead by examples and ladies this does mean that you are to continue in prayer as well. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. He says and when you pray. Not if you pray. Not if your pastor says let's pray. It's when you pray. So Jesus is assuming that his disciples would be praying so this is for both men and women but Paul wants to deal with the men first last week Paul exhorted Timothy we pray in all sorts of ways for all sorts of people so all may believe and so these men are supposed to stand up lift up their palms as a sign of reverence and awe towards God And Paul wants them, these men, to consider their hearts. You might be familiar with this passage. It was the first passage I ever memorized in the Bible. 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so these men, they had godly zeal. It was resulting in anger and distractions from worship that was coming out of the hearts of these men in this church at Ephesus. But worship is anchored in godliness. Paul then addresses the heart of the women. It's their hair, their clothing that reveals their hearts. Paul says, adorn yourself with modesty, respect and godliness. In Ephesus, the ladies wanted to wear things for the purpose of people looking at them. Paul is exhorting them, don't flaunt your stuff to distract from proper worship because worship is anchored in godliness that exudes from our hearts. And so anger and modesty are not the issues, it's improper worship stemming from the heart of these men and women. And so Paul intends to correct the inner person or their demeanor, their character. What we say, what we do, how we dress, how we posture ourselves, whose name we drop, how much attention that we want is a window, friends, to our hearts. Maybe it's where I serve in the church or I'm not gonna serve there. Or what I drive or where I work or making certain things known about yourself. Maybe it's even I'm scared to serve, or I'm scared to pray, or I'm scared to engage in those things because I don't want people looking at me in a negative way. It all shares our hearts, the things that we give ourselves to. And Paul says, godly worship is self-controlled worship. In verse 9, he says, it comes with good works. Good works as a result of the work that God has done in our hearts. Not earning anything, but responding in effort because of what God has already earned for us in his Son. And so, proper worship is anchored in godliness or holiness because God is holy. So what's in your heart? What we do on the outside is testament to what is happening on the inside of us. Paul tells the Galatians this. If you want to flip back to the left, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 real quick. We'll read along with it. And he said some similar words that we see in our text. And so as I read this, consider your heart, both you men and women, what resonates with you? Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 23. You're probably familiar with much of this. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. You see the similarities between our text of what we are to put away and also what God wants us to put on that comes out of our hearts. And so what our actions say, you might be considering what you may need to repent of in reading that. What have you given yourself to, both men and women, that has led to improper, distorted worship? Proper worship is anchored in holiness. And I wish that's all we had for our text this morning, but we are going to continue. And my wife, as well as my own mother, are here this morning. I asked Kristen to help me to make sure that I'm serving you ladies well this morning. Proper worship is anchored in godliness, but it's not happening in Ephesus. And Paul makes a bold command, especially for our culture today. The actions of the men and women in Ephesus are distorting God's created order for worship. Let me reread it. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Hard passage. Public worship isn't prohibited for anyone, but Paul was restricting a certain type of authority a certain type of speech in the church. This is a familiar discussion for the church in Ephesus. Go forward from Galatians, if you're still there, to the book of Exodus. I mean, sorry, the book, that's way back. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Paul said this to the Ephesian church. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so, friends, we all submit to Christ, and wives are called to model that. Christ loved us, he died for us, and husbands, we are to model that self-sacrificial type of love for our wives. My guess is that most women would have no hesitation or minimal hesitation in submitting to that sort of godly headship. Jesus is not asking for absolute submission that is contrary to God's word. Men who violate God's word, who abuse women, do not submit to them. And if you are a lady who is being abused, I ask you, please come talk to me and get help. We would love to serve you in that way. Women were culturally silenced in the first century and Paul wants women to learn just not to be the teacher in public worship. So if women are being prohibited here, who is being affirmed? Who's being addressed? It's the men. Stand up. Official doctrinal instruction from the Bible is a task given to men. Teaching is authoritative over those who are learning. The problem doesn't start with the women. It starts with the men and the deception that has been plaguing men and women as we're here today for 2,000 years since this book was written, this letter from Paul to Timothy, since the history of the world after Genesis 3. Men shirking back, abdicating their responsibility before God and the duty towards ladies and to the church. The world says of this passage ah, the church is just continuing to be patriarchal. But the Bible says otherwise. Jesus cared for women. He valued women who he created in his image. Men and women. Women had no legal power to testify in court, but who were the first to come to the empty tomb to meet with the resurrected Messiah? It's women. Jesus has done more for women than any other person in the history of the world because he created them with dignity, value, and worth. And I want you to remember this because Satan wants you to question did God really say this? Doesn't he want you to be happy? Many don't think God would say that. And Satan, he turns good things into bad things. Distracting from our worship, making those good things God things. The suffrage movement that gave women the right to vote, a right that ladies rightfully deserve, is a good thing. Satan took it even further, where equal outcome is desired, not equal value. Satan says, well, women should be free for everything that they want to do. In the early 1900s, the birth control movement sprang, and second wave feminism came, and then the results of that were Roe v. Wade, where women are f- men are free from not having children, so why shouldn't a lady? Satan deceives, so men in worship, worship ourselves egalitarian moved into the church in the 80s desiring not just equal rights and values but equal roles today many churches don't follow the Bible even here locally some mega churches churches with a lot of influence even in our own denomination advocate against God's word and I think it's demonic Genesis 1 God created mankind men and women, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. All are created with the same dignity, value, and worth in God's eyes, and salvation is available to both men and women. But God gives men and women specific roles and responsibilities to follow. Teaching and exercising authority in the church is a humble responsibility ordained for men. Titus 2, four says that women can t- teach other women. They can teach children. Women pray as it says in Scripture. Women leading outside of the home, maybe in a business or in the government, are not prohibited. They're not even addressed in this text. And remain quiet, as Paul says here, as it's translated in the ESV, means from up here. In this pulpit, teaching with authority as the assembled church is gathered so that we worship properly. Women can correct men. Acts 18, Priscilla corrects Apollos. I ask my wife to help me. Make sure, please, that I am gentle and loving to the ladies in our church. Women are listed in Paul's letters as being helpful servants and laborers with him. Men and women are both given spiritual gifts and Paul will spend a lot more time in chapter five honoring women than addressing women here in these seven verses as he talks about honoring widows. John Piper encouraged humility a while back in a conference he taught at and these are some of his words. Men, this is not a job you want. We bear the weight of responsibility when Jesus knocks at the door because there's a financial problem or a relational problem. Jesus will ask, where is the man of the house? This is not about rights and power, but about weight on your back day and night. If you want to be the head, he says, you have no clue what you're asking for. This is not about authoritarianism. It's about leadership. And Paul is saying, men stand up. So Paul continues his exhortation that proper worship is anchored in holiness, but it's ordered in headship. And he explains what God wants in this. Genesis one, Adam was created first, giving him the role of being head or leader at home, as well as the gathering of God's people. And Eve was created second, signifying submission to the head. Creation order doesn't change, so that should be all the reason that we need. Men are not superior than women, and this isn't just an Ephesus problem. Women were educated in Ephesus, false teachers were signified in chapter 1 as being men. This isn't a temporary correction only for Ephesus, it is established in creation. It is foundational, and so subverting headship transgresses God's created order. And Satan loves to weaken families. He loves to weaken churches. And he's been doing the same thing from generation to generation since Genesis 3, and we still face it today. He loves to divide God's people and not half of us worship God properly. Paul uses the fall as an example in verse 14. Eve ate first, but who was with her? We read it in Genesis 3. Her husband, Adam, was right there with her. He's guilty. He abdicated his leadership. He permitted his wife to be tempted by Satan, to be deceived. He failed to teach her, to have authority, to protect her, to provide for her. Where creation was very good, and this isn't an Ephesus problem, it's a humanity problem. Women aren't more gullible. Adam listened to Eve and and when men carelessly surrender God's given leadership, deception is often closely behind. Paul doesn't want us to repeat the pattern that we see in the fall. He wants men to lead first in prayer and second to take responsibility because that's what God called them to in creation. Men are to lead like Jesus has led. And so when speaking from the Bible, it's, the teaching is authoritative. It's the heart and soul of the church's ministry. Jonathan Lehman, he recounts that God's word is life-giving, brings blessing, is useful, and our conversations about men and women in the church start with the Bible, not with what we like, or what we want to hear. And so illustrating this with scripture, I think it's best. I don't need to come up with stories. Let's let God's word. Look at creation. It was in chaos and God created order. God desires for that order to continue. Everything. All of God's creation is for his glory. And we are called to worship God. God. And we are called to worship God alone. And Satan loves to distract. He loves to deceive. He loves to distort us from proper worship. This passage is about worship. It is not about men and women's roles in the church, but we have to deal with it. But friends, it doesn't end there. I have good news for you where proper worship is anchored in holiness, it's ordered in headship, and it's for the purpose of hope. It says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Adam needed help. Eve was Adam's helper, and helper is a name given to God. It is an honorable name. Jesus said he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would dwell inside of us. And so don't think that that word, ladies, is a demeaning role, and men don't think that that role is a means by which you can suppress women. Adam and Eve needed each other to be fruitful and to multiply, and I've heard that childbirth is painful. I've witnessed it four times but the pains of life are not god's final word for women there is hope in the curse after the fall in genesis 3:16 it says this god said to the woman i will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The curse contains God's understanding of what would take place in the world, the things that we have to engage with today, that the struggle would continue to ensue. Women will continue to circumvent their husbands, they are called to shepherd and to lead their wives. Men will Desire authority. They will seek to control when they're called to self-sacrifice and to love. I think men and are, or women are fed up with male leadership because it's often done so poorly. Both sin but they both have hope. First ladies, every time a woman gives birth she's reminded of the pain but she's also reminded of this hope. He says that you will be saved or sustained in childbirth, and you ladies know it. After the pain of a child, when that child is rested upon you, I think, I've seen it, the pain starts to go away. You see how this passage, I think, is from Mother's Day? God's timing is so good. But before we move on, you single ladies, those who can't have children. I want you to know that God knows that. This doesn't mean that you're not without hope, or that you are without hope, sorry. So we'll continue with the passage. Some can't have children. Some of you have lost children in the womb, or as adults. Some of you lost your mother. This is a hard day for a lot of people. Paul doesn't mean to minimize our pain. He means to provide us with hope. Proper worship has hope, both personally and corporately. Corporately, Jesus is our hope. God's Son, the second member of the Trinity, provides hope for men and for women. God knows the pain of searing loss and losing his son. Yet, the passage ends with she will be saved if they, now they're both included in the discussion, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And so the holiness and self-control is not only mentioned in verse 9, but it's mentioned in verse 15 to be the bookends, to hold everything together of our proper worship. Proper worship is anchored in holiness, ordered in headship, for the purpose of hope for everyone. Right before the curse on Eve, God cursed the serpent, in verse 15 of chapter 3. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Before Eve was given her hope, humanity was given our hope. The seed of Eve, not the seed of Adam, will bring the final blow to Satan's deception in the world. Jesus, born of a woman, conceived of the Spirit, not man, would be born to save those who believe. from our sin. A mediator, we talked about last week, dying in our place on the cross for our sins. And so men and women, our joy comes with hope of the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so proper worship is anchored in holiness and self-control, it's ordered in creation. that was confused by the fall, the roles we have as men and women, they are beautiful, And God isn't a prude shackling our potential. We pursue God's design. And God's word is like the bumpers when kids go to bowl. You know, it keeps the ball from going in the gutters and keeps us, although bumpy at times, to make it to the end. And so we pursue God's plan. We stay on course. And God gives this passage to us out of love because he wants what's best for us. Because he's good and He does want you to be happy. We tend to focus on the things that we like or the things that we desire. But faith, love, and holiness, although they're not natural to us, is what Jesus provides for us. He's the one who calls us to these things. He makes it possible for us to submit to Him, to obey these things. And he sustains us in proper worship. The words, we can, if they continue, in verse 7, I mean, sorry, in verse 15, is the same word for abide that Jesus used, as we saw in John, or John chapter 15, where we abide in his word. We abide in his love. We abide in Christ. And we remind ourselves and each other to Continue and the passages of scripture that are hard to understand and they're hard to apply, but it's so we can properly worship. And so what do we do with this passage? I think first and foremost, we trust our Bibles. This, friends, is our authority. Many hate this passage, but it's beautiful. God doesn't give us the option to disregard the parts of the Bible that we just don't like. He wants us to obey it all. Al Mohler argues, if you look at churches who have confused the questions of men and women in the church and home, they tend to be overwhelming, overwhelmingly the same denominations that have followed the route of compromise on the larger sexuality and gender issue questions in the world. Next week, we'll look at what biblical church leadership looks like. And having seen it corrected this morning, I think that will help color our time next week in chapter 3. The only thing worse than not adhering to right doctrine is being indifferent to doctrine altogether. And that indifference breeds heresy. This church in Ephesus was dealing with a lot of different types of heresy. One pastor said, today's morals don't alter scripture. Scripture must alter culture. And so from the very beginning, Satan's deception was, did God really say? And our response, friends, should always be, yes. It might be hard, but I trusted. And it's good. The deceiver's great lie comes from his own hate of God, his own desire, Satan's own desire to not worship God. Sinclair Ferguson said this, He twists our view of God from that of a loving, generous, heavenly Father into someone who can trust you can't trust because you're not fully sure he really wants what's best for you. God doesn't restrict our joy, but when we cease to love him, we begin to hate him. So friends, let's trust God's word. Second, when the Bible shows us our hearts, we respond according to the Bible. Men, pray with piety. Women, adorn yourselves properly. Fruit of the flesh is revealed in the Bible, but so is fruit of the Spirit. And so we ask God to build up that fruit of the Spirit in us, where the law of God shows us our sins. And on the outside, it starts to manifest our hearts and the way in which we live. And God's word trumps our personal preferences. God calls us to hard things, but even in hard things his word is good and his spirit helps us and so we can do this together and so let God's word look into your own hearts we could be self-deceived and we could think that we have all of our things together that we're doing well and so what may God's word be telling you today Paul will tell Timothy in his follow-up letter all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Some of the same language we see in our text this morning. So we trust our Bibles, it reveals our hearts. Third, trust it will transform not only you, but also our culture. I don't need to tell you this, but gender matters. How would we even apply this text if gender changes? It's coming for the church. It has already gone after Christian schools and you all know that I've talked about that. The culture is coming for the church. Maybe not be tomorrow, it might not be for a while, but it's coming, they're not gonna stop. All are equal with dignity, value, and worth, but God created men and women unique. Deviating from the Bible, we'll see our destination far from Christianity. When the fresh blanket of snow melts, we realize what's underneath the snow. It's been sitting there all winter. It starts to run downstream, and none of us want to go swim down in Lebanon, right? We stay away from the water, our skin will turn green. Transgender issues are a, a delusion. Gender is granted by God. It is grounded in biology. It is a gift from a loving father and it's good and glorious and distinctiveness. The American Health Association released a, a study recently. I think it's pretty funny. About transgender women having prostate issues. Women don't have prostates. We must address the issues with facts, and God's word is our ultimate measure of truth. God's design is perfect, and contrary to popular belief, only women can have children. Motherhood is a divinely appointed role. And I think most importantly, fourth, the Bible tells us where our deepest satisfaction is. It's in God alone. It's not in our home, it's not in your children, Son of your job, whatever it is. Our satisfaction, men and women, comes from Christ alone. And Satan's deceptions have run deep. His deceptions distort who God is as a good creator. His desire is to destroy who humanity is. Men and women created in God's image, male and female, seeks to destroy family units even before a family unit comes to birth. This is nothing new. We shouldn't be surprised, but we also shouldn't be in despair, because we have hope. And that hope is faith in Jesus Christ. So proper worship is anchored in holiness. It is ordered in headship for the purpose of hope. Let's not be deceived, church. We trust our Bibles. Let it evaluate our hearts. Allow it to transform our hearts as we see our hope and we live in light of the hope that we have. Again, this passage isn't about men and women. It's about our worship. And so let's worship Him now. True happiness comes in worshiping God. How He has called us to worship Him. And as we worship properly, We are getting our greatest joy. It is what God wants us to do to be happy because he is getting the praise that he is due and we are getting the joy that he wants to bless us with. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for how you created the world. And even in our gratitude, at times it's hard. We see it done so poorly and leading and shepherding and submission and helping in the church, in the home, in our world, in our culture. God, we we acknowledge we, we don't like authoritarian leadership. We don't like improper headship. We don't like abuse. And neither do you. God, we thank you that you are God and we are not, that you are perfect in holiness, that you are a perfect leader, you are a perfect head, you are a perfect father. God, that your son is the picture of a perfect husband who died on the cross for the sins of his bride who wanted nothing to do with you, who wanted to go after other gods, but you still pursued your people when we wanted nothing of you and we were your enemies. God, we thank you for the abundant hope that we have, that we can rest in you, that you never change, your word never changes. And so God, as you created us to live a certain way God we ask that you would help us to do that because it's really hard at times and God as we do that we ask that you would receive the honor that you are due the praise that you are due and knowing that that is where we find our deepest enduring long lasting joy the only joy that we need and so God we lift up these things to you. We ask that you would help us to lift up our voices to praise who you are and what you've done. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.